Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Coys R Us podcast. This is episode eight. We are here. Most of us are here. Joel and Kim and Jesse. And we are ready to bask in the beauty of a top four finish for the first time in three years. And the first time in, in too long. Uh, we're finally back, baby. Feels good to be back. Champions League football. How are we feeling, Jesse? Terrific. Come on. Come Glad on. That you feel as optimistic as I always feel. I mean, you finally got to my resting. Uh, I had to wait till there was no more games left. <laughs> Neutrality. That's, that's, uh, the, that's the only time I can be. Welcome. Welcome to the positivity uh, train. I'm the conductor. Whoop, whoop. No, I mean, this is as, as high we've, as we've ended a season. I was trying to think back, and obviously, you know, you've got to deal with recency bias, but it absolutely feels like this is the the the, the most on the upswing that we finished a year, uh, I think, because even in in the year that that uh, we were making that title run, I think that was 15-16, it ended so madden- maddeningly um, by giving up, uh, blowing a two-goal low, two-goal lead at the bridge. Um, yeah, cut that one. We don't need to be talking about blowing loads. <laughs> <laughs> when you definitely uh, leaving it in. When you think back to 2015-16, and you know, uh, even though that we that, that season was the the title challenge season, um, it ended with blowing that two goal lead at the bridge, and then completely melting down against Newcastle, and then famously finishing third in a three horse race <clears throat> as Arsenal passed us on the final day. <clears throat> um. You know, but this season, like it just it's still going up like it's almost like, man, I wish there were more games because we would have finished third. If there was one more game or two more games, we would have finished third. Obviously, we're never going to catch first and second, but the, just the absolute optimism surrounding the club this offseason. Uh, <clears throat> fully confident we'll make the signings. Are we going to sign everyone we're linked with or everyone we want to sign? No, of course not. It never works that way, especially because linked with, you know, doesn't always mean actually solid contact. But yeah, in I think- talks. Yeah, right. In talks, I think you know, keen, thrilled. keen on. That's my favorite one when they're the, keen. Yeah, the 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 difference between this summer and last summer is just going to be insane. Like you know, being linked to eight managers or whatever it was, and then finally getting our guy, quote unquote, our guy in, in Nuno. Bless up, though. Every point mattered this year, and he had he he <laughs> we got some guy. He got five wins, you know, and that <laughs> that counts. Um, uh, you know, in the first ten, and it's not that obviously the way we wanted to, but every single point counted. So. You know, you go back and think about some of those other ones and we can kind of get into this and the, and the, the highs and lows of it. But it is kind of crazy. You do all this 38 games and, and every point ends up ends up mattering. But, yeah, absolutely stoked. What a what a day at the at the at granddad's or Columbus Spurs bar. Um, I just actually saw a video that I didn't remember doing, not that I was in the bag or anything, but like I was standing up at the chair at the bar and I thought everyone else around me was standing. And there was someone who posted a video on our Columbus Spurs Twitter. And I caught myself and I was like head and shoulders almost above everybody after Sonny scored. Like I was the only one standing on my stool at the bar, but just an absolute uh, terrific way to end the season. Thrilling, thrilling season. And, and uh, when it was all done and dusted. Kim, now that the season is over and we'll, we'll get to the Norwich uh, recap in a second, but I mean, did you even imagine when the season began that we would even compete? for a top four more or less forget about even finishing top four but did you even think we'd have a chance of even competing for it no going into the year um I think we thought very similar like Europa League is what we were going for because that's where we felt the squad was um and honestly 
I think up until January, that's actually where the squad was. We right. were yeah. fighting for Europa League, and it wasn't until we got Kulisevsky and Bentancourt that you know things changed where we felt like, okay, things are moving in a better direction. And it was helpful that Man United was an absolute bucket of trash this year and um arsenal you know let the rope go because they had it and then they let it go um which helped us you know get back to where we wanted to go um so to me yeah europa league is what i was looking at um i'm very happy that obviously we've done way better than that um that champions league money i think is more helpful to spurs than it probably is to any other club that would have finished in the top top four um arsenal still you know they seem to be able to shell out money on players um and they do it all the time it's not always the best players it's not always the players that fit the system um but they they still seem to be able to spend it um i think they still just overall have that um extra recognition um as being arsenal that we don't have and so um i do think that champions league money will be very helpful do you still think that's the case one other player so Arsenal I mean, I, still out earn Spurs from what I understand. Like they're still a richer club in terms of the money that comes in. Um, I think we're like changing that. And I think the stadium is helpful for that, but that stadium money still, you know, going through two years of COVID, like we're not that far away from not being, not feeling like we could do anything like in 2020, 2021, like, we were signing everyone on loan. We were only looking for freeze. Like there's just that money, that extra pot of money that you get just from being in the Champions League, I think helps us more than it helps Arsenal. Um, obviously like, yeah, Arsenal probably gets a higher caliber of player by being in the Champions League. But I just think the, the, that, puck, that bucket of money matters to us more than it matters to them. Well, luckily for us, we finished top four. And they didn't. So uh, shout to Arsenal. Thanks for the three points that you helped us uh, gain and the three points that you gave away against Newcastle. We really appreciate it. Thinking about finishing top four, um, like I said, it's been a few years and like thinking about where we expected ourselves to be. Europa League was pretty much our level for the past few years. We finished sixth two seasons ago um, in our first year with Jose, that's when the world shut down. And then we had Jose come back and fired him with uh, like a month left in the season and finished seventh. So we were definitely regressing away from the top four norm. And finally, it seems like we're back now. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the match on Sunday going into the game. You know, we all, gave our predictions last week we talked about what we thought was going to happen everybody was fairly optimistic after the arsenal loss going against the worst team in the league who's was already slated to be relegated weeks ago did anything change (laughs) i'll I'll ask that did anything change for you guys because i know for myself um coming off the high of that newcastle win it was like all right everything's in our favor things are going well we're playing Norwich. Norwich is horrible. 4-0 was my prediction. And I feel like as the week progressed and as the game got closer, I started to like the nerves started to creep in a little bit more like, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to 
Are we going to find a way to screw this up like we always do? And, you know, we throw around this word spursiness, which I know um, Conte got asked about in the press conference and he shut it down. Um, and there was a conversation we had actually on the podcast a few weeks ago. I think it was probably like episode two or three. Uh, it was episode four. We were talking about destiny control and controlling your own destiny and talking about this idea of like Conte having this super magical effect versus all the history of Spurs finding ways to bottle it and like these two magnificent forces coming at odds and which one was going to win out. And, and, and at the end, it, it seems that Conte's magic ended up actually beating the Spursiness. Um, the game is in hand pretty much from the onset. Um, was there anything? I mean, I, I tried watching the game again and it was actually fairly boring because I already knew what the scoreline was um, and nothing really happened. I mean, Anything really stand out for you, Jesse, as you're watching the Norwich match yesterday? I thought it was a bit weird that, like, the first handful of touches and, and big chances somehow fell to, to PEH. It was sort of like, <laughs> right. not that I would have rather have anybody. I mean, he's not, you know, Sissoko, uh, but he's obviously not a goal scorer. So it was just kind of like, what are we doing that PEH is, is the man that's in the center of the box and obviously doesn't know what to do with the ball quite as much there as he does a, a lot of other parts of the, of the pitch. So... The beginning was a little bit strange and it was like, okay, I mean, I think to, you know, to start with where you were talking about, I was highly confident heading into it. My confidence dropped a little bit, but I was still feeling very, very good. Even, you know, Sunday morning um, uh, heading into it. So um, yeah, I thought that was a bit kind of strange that like Pierre was in there for, for a little while. And then it was like, um, you know, then Norwich made it very clear on why they had been relegated for a month. It was just right. like, they just have nothing to stop anybody. And like, they're making kind of like, you know, I don't even know what the, the division you'd say, but like, like league one level uh, mistakes on that pass for the, for the second goal. Oh, so like, really bad. Yeah. They're making nice, really, really bad mistakes. And I don't, I'm not going to pretend I've watched a lot of Canaries games this year and they may be just mailing it in, but um, yeah, that that kind of stuff was like surprisingly bad. And so it was good. Like we've seen times where not that I've seen teams play that poorly against Spurs, but there have been times where it's like we are so much more talented and, and better than one of these teams, but then failed to score. So it's nice to just have that killer instinct of like, we're not going to drag this on. This isn't going to be, uh, you know, pulling on anyone's emotions. Spurs are just going to take it to them. And it, and it could have been even more, I, you know, Sonny missed. Uh, that straight on chance, Sonny missed, missed a uh, few. He um, missed a, a few couple, before he yeah, finally but, scored. Yeah, I didn't look at the the XG yet, but like the just kind of do, doing my own XG guesses, like that was probably close to a to the two chances he had before he scored were probably each I would guess a half, you know, or close to it. I mean, those were like primo. I was shocked that he missed those, and I was like, oh no, it's Sonny snake bit because he missed um, a couple against Burnley, not missed, but were, were saved against Burnley. Whereas, like, is this finally catching up to him? His super over over performance of xg but yeah it was nice to just see the boys take care of business i think um i forget what my prediction was but i did say my, my hope was that uh that decky's son and kane all score too um and it was pretty close uh, that close was, uh, pretty close there so it was nice to see the boys combine for stuff it was it was lovely seeing bentencourt make some of those runs like i was screaming when he made that pass to decky like dude just hit that um, but clearly he knew that Decky was going to be He's a point guard, it. baby. Yeah. It didn't look Pass like Decky was a hundred percent as ready for it as he could have been, but 
Um, yes, yeah, so that was great. And so, like, again, seeing Medvedev get involved a little bit in the offense, seeing Pierre go a little bit deeper. Now you're not going to be able to do that against every team. Um, but it kind of got me excited for, like, man, maybe some of these guys could play, you know, a little bit potentially more forward or, or could be a little bit more attacking to have some shifts and things like that. If we do need a moment, you could say, okay, these guys can be a little bit deeper. I mean, I don't remember Bentancourt making any deep runs since he'd been here. No. He was He was getting deep a lot. So, yeah, exciting to watch. Glad it was never stressful. Um, and just, I think it was like, you know, it's, it absolutely like put, if everybody wasn't on notice yet, put everybody on notice. Like, I don't know what the record is, but like, there's a, there's a very decent chance we could have three guys score 10 goals and a, and a 10 assists next year. I mean, Decky had five and eight in 20 games. Um, Sonny and, and Kane, obviously well over the 10 goal mark. I think each had seven or eight, nine assists. So um, and that's, a, you know, out of a full season of the three of them and, and obviously getting some more um, reinforcements. It was it was super fun. It was it was enjoyable to watch. And, and um, again, just the bar going nuts and all cheering for Sonny. And that's kind of what I hope, like, let's get the lead and then let's just feed Sonny to every possible possibility. Almost a little bit too much there with Decky. You could have hammered that home, um, but try to get. Oh, Sonny my goodness. Before he got one. So, like, I don't mind it. What like, are you doing, dude? What are you in doing? In my mind, I'm like, yes, feed Sonny at all costs. And then when actually one of the costs came up, I was like, we could have just ended the game right there, buddy. Let's not get Sonny. He, he, made, he made up for it about yeah, two minutes absolutely. later with, sure that, with that banger. Um, for the record, Kane finished with nine assists and Son finished with seven. So they were both pretty Kulisevsky close to 10 and 10. had eight so it was like nine eight and seven and yeah. Kulisevsky only like he only actually started 14 matches so what a player like, and there i i can actually remember on some of the it was like i think his first or second match um his ex, and actually Kulisevsky's expected assists are like 2.7 which is crazy to me like he's outperforming his expected assist in in a way yeah. that's ridiculous um that just shows that we have great finishers on our team like he he puts the ball in a position that our finishers are going to finish it and maybe not everyone will finish those but um yeah he just really seems to i don't know that guy is he's amazing like i i can see him being like one of the best players in the premier league in two or three years if he just keeps doing what he's doing well if he stays at, at tottenham we won't have to worry oh. about anyone giving many credit for it so <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'll just quickly give my thoughts about, you know, going in, like, like I, I said, four nil, I was very confident when we finished the pod. Um, I was still pretty confident even up until the day before, I think I posted something in the chat and Joel was like, um, <laughs> he was like, I didn't want it. don't, he, he, he was like, don't do that. So I, I didn't I want to jinx it. it. I quickly quoted it and said something else, but nah, my listen. My it was it was a lot like... of celebrating over the past week. It was a lot of Spurs fans just Champions League this and top four and laughing at Arsenal. And I was like, all right, let's let's just relax a little bit, yeah. Because we've seen we've seen it backfire, and we've honestly just seen it backfire for them. Like they were doing this a few weeks ago, and they obviously completely screwed the pooch so to speak but i'm like man i just want to see full time <laughs> but anyway no, i know I, it wasn't just I, me. I only started to get nervous when i was in the uber on the way to the pub i was like it was like 10 a.m and i was like oh man like we better win <laughs> yo that's um, all like i just but 
but the moment that second goal went in i was like yeah at that moment i was like this is like okay the third goal is what did it for most people but the second goal i was like this is over because norwich is not going to score two goals and if they no. score two goals we will definitely score another like i'm not yeah. worried about that so for me like once we got that and, and second, honestly even if they scored a set two goals we we would have still finished fourth with a draw so exactly so for um, me it was like i didn't see much more coming from them like they're truly they truly are a terrible team and i think the reason we saw awful. both i think the reason we saw both um uh pierre and um bentoncourt in the box was because conte saw them play saw their midfielders and was like they're not going to track your runs just run like yeah think about it like i think it, like tactics wise that's probably something conte said was they don't track midfielders runs well, so make the runs like and that's why you saw like Dyer hitting balls over the top to the midfielders, which never happens. Like usually that's Sun running onto that ball, but they're probably like, no, Sun, you run on the channel, PH or um, Bentecourt, you run down the middle. And if someone finds you, they find you and then you try to set someone up because that's the one thing about both PH and, and Bentecourt is they're not terrible short passers. You don't really see them do many long passes. Um, well, I mean, you're starting to see PH do that a lot more. He's getting a lot better at dinks and doing stuff over the top. Um, that's the one thing I feel like we've seen guys improve. Like PH wasn't doing as much of that prior to um, Conte coming in. I think Conte was just like, well, you're in these positions. Guys will make these runs. Just look for them. If you see them, try to get them the ball. Um, so I, I, I think tactics wise, Conte set them up to, to succeed. Um, again, they're a terrible team, so you should succeed against them. But I felt like defensively, we were decent across the game. Um, they had a few chances. They could have scored a goal or two. Um, like I wouldn't have been surprised if one of those went in. Um, they probably should have scored that goal. Yeah, that, uh, they could have. I don't even know the guy's scored. name. He was playing on the on the left wing. He had a yeah, kind of a breakaway scored. that he, he, he ended up pulling it a little bit wide. But he should have probably bagged that like one. A, uh, Dyer had like a bad pass and I think that might be the same one actually Dyer yep. um, he had a bad pass out the back and then he was able to just like pull it on his uh, I guess that was his right yeah, that was a really cutting bad in pass. on his right foot yeah yeah um, and, uh, but you can really point out like truly that's like the truly one bad pass in a game of 90 minutes so yeah. that just goes to show like the way that the team has changed because I don't know, six months ago, there would have been six of those passes in the first half against a team like Norwich, giving them chances to, to find the goal. Like you give them enough chances, you let them hold the ball enough, someone's going to find something. And I think that's what we dealt with a lot is we were not playing well out the back. We were not playing, we were not passing well. And then things would happen where like guys would make passes, they would get intercepted. And then you, if you give a bad team enough shots, they're probably going to score one. And then we couldn't score at all. So we were losing like one nil to West Ham, one nil to whoever. Um, and it's just because we couldn't score, but we'd give them enough chances at the ball where you give them enough, they'll find something. Um, so there was a little bit of some technical difficulties at the bar on Sunday. So the game feed comes on, but we're not hearing any sound. And you know, for the first 15 minutes or so, it's it's zero zero. And you could have probably heard a pin drop. Like it was a lot of singing before the game started and then kickoff happened. And you're just like watching the screen. There's no sound coming in and everybody's a little nervy. Nobody's really singing. Nobody's really saying anything. 
And then once that first goal went in, then it was like you kind of felt a collective like sigh of relief within uh, the environment. And like you said, um, after we scored a couple, two, three goals, all right, the game's over. At that point, all eyes were on the golden boot. Um, and everybody was just hoping that Sonny would get a couple um, so that he'd end up winning the golden boot. He did get a couple. Uh, he did win the golden boot. Unfortunately, Salah dinked one in um, with like 15 minutes left. So they en- ended up having to share it. But man, what a what a player, what a season that he's had. And it feels like somehow he's still underrated. Like everyone knows how amazing of a footballer he is, but he still doesn't really get put in those conversations. And I wonder how much, if at all, him winning the golden boot is going to change how people talk about him. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I am curious to see what the reaction to him is going to be because it felt like for years people were downplaying Kane and it took him like winning like three golden boots and a playmakers uh, award for that people to start finally recognizing him as a world-class striker. So I do wonder at what point Sonny's going to reach that level, because it does feel like the rest of the world maybe does recognize that, but um, premier league fans don't seem to credit him the same way. Or even when we talk about like the best wingers in the world, his name doesn't oftentimes come up, Um, but he's definitely in that class of category as far as I'm concerned, and to score 23 goals in the best league in the world with no penalties is just beyond reproach. Like, I don't even know what else to say about this guy other than he's the most lovable player I've ever seen in my life. And just the joy that he expels every time he plays, like just the look on his face when he finally scored that second goal and like jumped on Ben Davis and is just, beaming from ear to ear i mean who's like a, I, who is even like this guy i don't even know it's he's just he still has that uh that like that boyhood joy that you have running around in a park um despite being one of the best players in the world like it, it, you get the sense that he doesn't take it for granted um and that's something you love to see this is the coys rs podcast we can be followed on twitter at coys rs podcast we can also be reached at Podcast at gmail.com. Um, shout out to all of the new followers and new listeners. Uh, shout out to Queen Spurs and Columbus Spurs and DC Spurs, especially for holding the three of us down on a weekly basis and for spreading the word. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast and you enjoy what you've been hearing, make sure you're sharing it with other Spurs fans. We will continue to try to put out some episodes in the off season, probably not as consistently because we won't have any games to talk about. Um, But we did come up with the idea for this pod and and we didn't want it just to be a match recap podcast. So we will try to come up with some uh, football related topics and and things for us to discuss. Um, That will be of course, always related to Spurs and, and, and with our Americanized points of view, but keep, keep tuned in and we will definitely try to have some stuff coming up over the next few months so now the season is over uh we finally can put a period on the 21-22 season and this is one of the best finishes we've had in a while but now that it's over how will you guys remember 
this season and, and Kim, maybe we'll start with you like a year or two from now, when we talk about the 2021, 22 premier league season, what, what's going to come to mind for you? So um, me thinking very optimistically, I think it's like a rebirth for Spurs. Um, mm. I think it's truly just like a, like Conte came in and just sort of like washed away all of the mess that was going on. Like it didn't happen right away. It took Antonio. him getting rid of <laughs> my guy. Antonio. It took him getting rid of players who some people were like, those are our only creative players. Yeah. We can't get rid of them. Like it took him getting rid of Ndombele, LaCelso, you know, maybe Delhi. letting um Delhi, letting Brian Hill go on loan. Um, away from the team for a little while and and bringing in like we only brought in two players but they were two players that came in knew the assignment knew what they needed to do and just hit the ground running when they're talented like Benzikor and Kulisewski are two talented individuals but they work hard for the team you don't have to worry about you never have to worry about Kulisewski tracking back on the wing like he knows I got to get back to help out Emerson to make sure that we don't like let easy goals in and I think that's the thing that I saw the team plays like a team now it's something like you can look at them and see like they all pull for each other and they all want to play together yeah the way they all celebrated Sonny getting the golden boot like the whole team um was just they were looking for for him him. the whole match (laughs) exactly like you like you saw even a player like Kane who's always looking to score he was like trying to find Sonny Kane was looking for him Lucas came on and quickly looked like try to oh, get him. What a set, set him up, set him up. Like he actually set him up twice um, in a matter of like two minutes. So it's just like, you can tell like all the guys and I was rewatching the game and like a guy that you've only seen play twice in like the whole season, Joe Roden, when somebody's goal didn't go in, he's like up near Antonio Conte, like jumping up and down, like hoping that something happens. So you like, you see a guy that's not even playing that's really, really pulling for the team. When you see the, like the post team pictures on Twitter, how everyone's posting them, like a guy like Galini seems to be like a, a glue guy amongst the team. It's crazy. Like he also big time, play, big time but, glue guy, but, but like everyone, he seems to be the kind of guy that like talks to everybody is friends with everybody. Sort yeah, of like enjoys, sure. has that like sort of, so you, you, you see that kind of stuff happen within a team. And honestly, that's what got me to, to really liking Spurs to begin with because it felt like they all pulled together like a team. And for a couple of years, I didn't feel that. Like, you didn't get that feeling from the team. Jose doesn't give you that feeling ever. Like, no matter what, you're not going to get... I feel like he's not going to instill that in a team, but Conte is all about the us versus them mentality. You can you can tell he puts that into his players. He emanates that himself the way he goes at other um, Premier League managers. So I just feel like for me, yeah, it's like, we sort of started over in the middle of a year. It happened in the middle of a year. You didn't think that this is where we would be, but it really feels like we're moving in a good direction. We have the ability to now sign a quality class of player. Um, we have Champions League, so it's it's another draw that people who want to play in the Champions League, that's not now not a knock to say I'm not going to Spurs. They don't have Champions League. So I just feel like we're, we're just in a good position um, going forward. Yeah, I think for me, um, I mean, obviously, the first thing I'm going to think about is Conte. And as I've been like replaying the season in my head over the past 
few hours and even the past few weeks, really, um, I keep coming back to that United match, uh, which was dubbed El Sacico at the time um, because it felt like whoever lost that match was going to end up sacking their manager. We ended up losing 3-0. That's exactly what we did. Um, Nuna got sacked and Conte got brought on. And it really felt it really felt like and still feels like that match was such a turning point for both clubs. Like if we had won that match, maybe we keep Nuno for another month or two. Maybe we kept keep him around the same way that um, United kept around Ole. And with Conte, you basically had a world-class manager just sitting at home. Uh, probably the only one that was left out there that wasn't already employed by a big club. And so I don't know whether or not United was was planning to hire him, but it really did feel like by us firing Nuno and putting a full court press, Paratici was huge, obviously, but getting him to sign with Spurs, which to be clear, I thought he would never do, um, was such a big win. And I think on the other side of the, of the coin, like for United, when they did finally decide to, fire Ole I think it was kind of one of those things is like all right well where do we go now because that was the last big guy that we could have hired and he was now uh employed at Spurs so I that is kind of that match in particular keeps coming as like so central to me um in terms of like how our season ended up going and it's the best loss I've ever experienced because I do feel like if we win that game our season probably ends up worse um and, you know, United beat us twice and they finished sixth. So, but yeah, I mean, for me, the biggest thing that I will always think about when I think of this season is just the Conte effect and the fact that, like, he washed the Spursiness away. Jesse, what about you? Yeah, I think the the Conte ride, absolutely. But I, just back to what I talked about at the beginning, I think, and sort of it is because of Conte, but ending the season on such an upswing, um, you know, thankfully not close enough where we were not like one point away from a title. And it was like, oh my gosh, if we had one more game, we could have won a title. But like ending it in a good spot where, um, you know, the, the top four was not a guarantee there towards the end. Um, you know, they still obviously had to had to get the results and things like that in, in the last match day and a half. But obviously there were been up and downs, you know, but I feel like generally even through some of the, you know, the, what was it? The Burnley Southampton low point. I was still feeling like everything's getting overblown. He's an emotional guy. He's doing this to, to, to create a reaction, whether it's with the media or the fan base or the team, but he he was definitely driving me crazy for a moment there with all those emotional ass press conferences. I could not stand it. Just things continuously sort of, again, not, not every single, it wasn't a straight, you know, hockey stick level of completely all the way up. Right. But you know, kind of a zoom out and you look and even the, the, the outside of a couple of blips, like it was just an upward trajectory and I'm super, super excited for next year, for next summer. Um, but, or, or for, excuse me, for this summer and for next year, um, I think the biggest memory, um, I'll have probably is, and we'll get into this in the, in a, in a minute, I think, but the, just the, the, the North London Derby bludgeoning and we were ready in January. The Stevie Brace, the Stevie Brace was just like losing my mind in the office. And, and, you know, again, like 
at the time, yeah, an important game, but every single point mattered. And to yeah. flip that from zero points to one point in the 95th to all three in the 97th was just absolute insanity. And so I think that moment um, will be, you know, one of the coolest things, I think. And then just like, yeah, Sonny's, Sonny's smile, uh, you know, and Sonny's joy, like we talked about in playing the game. And and he's a guy that I thought, okay, he's as good as he'll be. You know, last year, the last couple of years, he's 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 peaked. It's a very high peak, but he's he's as good as he can be. Um, and that's still really, really, really good to have as your you know second best attacking player is is Sonny. He'd be a lot of teams' best attacking player. Um, and so, like to see him take another step up uh, was just incredible. And and again, of all the people to do it for, of someone that just completely wears their heart on their sleeve. For better or worse, you know that that sad, terrible face that he makes when he misses an open chance, and <laughs> his whole face just looks like it's just like, like he yeah, just saw so, like a dog so hit by a car. Yeah, like he's super just emotive. Like, oh, That's the same oh face he God. makes when it, when he gets fouled and the ref doesn't call it. Yeah, and so just to see the 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 face of joy more often, and 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 know that like that's a guy that, you know. I, I've worked in sports for a while. I've worked with athletes before. I know sometimes. Again, we, we forget that it's a job, and so sometimes, um, you know, it's it's a little bit of lip service when the guys put the uh, put the Instagram posts up like we weren't good enough today. We'll get back at it. But like when Sonny's talking after games, and like he feels it as much as fans do, which is not necessarily the best thing, but is is a beautiful thing to have someone that you feel like is really really with you. Yeah, um, and as, and is as, feeling as the everything British would say, Sonny is proper Spurs. Like, yeah through and through like he Big like time. i say he i think i said this last um last pod he signed a contract at a time where like we didn't have anything going on exactly nothing going yeah. on like sunny was just like i want to be at spurs i love spurs and honestly not having to worry about sunny last summer was like uh, at I least so at least we got that going on. <laughs> that's that's what it was it was like if all else fails if kane leaves if we suck, at least we'll be able to get some joy out of watching Sonny. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Ndombele will finally come good. Uh, spoiler alert, he did not. <laughs> Kim, what about you? What were some of your favorite moments from this year? Uh, favorite moments, like the ones Jesse named also up there. Um, I would say that 3-2 against City, because that was the moment that I was like, oh, Conte really can do something. Like, because that was at City. <laughs> like that wasn't at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like that was at the Etihad, and it was like City. It's like it's like we get we got pegged back. You know, I think we scored first, then they scored, then we scored, or vice versa. I don't remember which one it was, but it was pretty much we were going back and forth, and you could even hear the announcers throughout the game as it got closer to the end of the game. They're like, "City's going to be pushing for a goal," like. They do that all the time. It's like if we're playing yeah. City or Liverpool, they're always going to be like, oh, City or Liverpool are going to be pushing for a goal. We expect them to score before the end of the game. Like they, they should win, like blah, blah, blah. And it was us. It was Kulisevsky on that right foot, putting in a cross for Kane and Kane just nodding that thing into the ground. And honestly, I went crazy on that one, like in a way that I hadn't been able to let myself like l- let myself go about the team at that point. Um, so for me, that was like one of the probably one of the best moments of the season. Yeah. And then those those games against Liverpool also were great, honestly, because it just showed that like 
we have a good team. Like yeah, those, we can, that, we can those, battle those, with the big boys. We can exactly. So uh, like those three games right there, the two against Liverpool and then the, that three, two against city. Those are probably some of my favorite matches because you could, you could see tactically that Conte was good, but you could also see that like we do have, maybe we don't have the, what we consider the best players, but if you put um, decent players in good positions, they can produce great results. Yeah. The Liverpool game is a great point because Still, we obviously haven't beat them since my daughter was born and turns four next month. Um, but and they've had our number, and obviously now that is currently Chelsea. But to to go toe to toe with uh, with Liverpool and, and probably in the first one should have gotten the win, and in this one, you know, still had had more chances. So I think um, that was uh, th- those were super super impressive games to go toe to toe with with Giants. Not that it's not impressive when you do it against City. I just almost sort of expect it now because we've beaten City every year. We beat them every now. year almost. Yeah. I think, and, and it's always something crazy. It's always yeah. a crazy like, game. But that was to beat them twice in one year. Like we usually beat them once. I feel like we beat them once and we may draw them. I don't think it's. I don't. I can't tell you the last time we've literally beat City twice in one year in the premier league. Like we've done it in, in the champions league. I think we played them four times that year and we might've beat them. Actually, I don't even think we beat them in the league that year. I think they won the league and we won in the champions league. I mean, talk about the city and Liverpool matches. Uh, That's eight points in four matches against two teams that scored 90. (laughs) Like that's ridiculous output for both of them. Um, 93 points city finished with in Liverpool on 92. Um, but for us, that's, you know, that's a, that's a two point average each, each match. That's not bad against two of the arguably the best teams in Europe. I mean, for me, the moment that I will always remember and cherish is, is definitely, uh, the Stevie brace just because of the, the, just the absurdity of it, like the unlikeliness of that happening, um, I think I had not seen anything even similar to that since Ajax, um, which obviously the stakes were much higher. But, you know, I recorded the game because I was at work and I came home to watch it. And like I got like a weird like message on social media from some. Oh, that game was crazy. And I like quickly like swiped the notification away because I didn't want to know what he was referring to. So I'm watching the game, like thinking, all right, like maybe there's a late goal coming or something. And the late goal comes and I lose it. I'm like, Oh my God, we squeaked tied, We tied the game. And then that awful giveaway by Tielemans for the second uh, Stevie goal and me losing my mind. Number one, but just seeing the mayhem in the away stand, the way the players lose it, Lucas throwing the bobble hat, just like all of that pandemonium is one of those things that like, I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. And so for me, like that is going to be one of those things where like, I'll be talking about that for years to come as a Spurs fan of like, Oh, that comeback against Leicester in 21, 22. So I think that's probably the, the, the memory that, that I'll hold on to the most. Um, I guess on the other side of things, if, if we're talking about recapping the season and thinking about the highs and the lows, what, were there any particularly low points that maybe uh, where you felt like things were not going to turn around? Because I, 
the season is such a roller coaster and, and 38 games is so many. Um, it just feels like there's this constant up and down going on. Obviously, we did not expect to finish top four even a month ago, uh, never mind at the beginning of the season. So, you know, we talk about the Tottenham triangle and getting your hopes up and starting to believe again and then getting disappointed. Where, where do you think, Jesse, you were the lowest in the in the in the disappointment uh, edge of the triangle? I think the Southampton when we were it was one one. Um, for most of the game and then Sonny scored I, I got the, the match log in front of me Sonny scored in the 70th and I was like okay like this was a a, a game we needed to win we had we had uh, lost to to Chelsea um, and uh, a couple times once in the league and, and once in the FA Cup after you know having that I think the first nine games of Conte's uh, Spurs Premier League run being undefeated and then I, I it was a weird time to feel low but i just remember watching that southampton be like this is a different team we're different this is not the jose this is not late stage poach like we're going to we're up to one we're going to see this out and then immediately giving up the tying goal and winning goal i think at like 76 and 82 um and so like that was just a a bummer because i was so feeling so high and confident and then it was just like what just happened like in in an instant I mean in a, in a handful of minutes um it went from a win to a loss and it was like and then we just didn't get anything else that was that interesting and I was like maybe this isn't different maybe you know mm. maybe things aren't the same because it's you know Southampton I feel like we usually take care of business against you know Danny Ings usually scores against us but we would we would we would take care of business and and uh and so that was one that I think that I was feeling pretty low the other one obviously the, the United 3-0 but you knew that the the upside, we didn't know the upside was going to be Conte, but you knew that, as it was called, the El Sacco, like, hey, Nuno's out at least after this. So it was low, but it was there was still a shred of optimism where the Southampton defeat, it just felt like I, I thought things were different, but is this the same, is this the same stuff once again? So that's when I was kind of the, the most bummed. Um, I think even more so than uh, than the the Burnley Wolves um whoever else we lost to in the, in that stretch um in uh, earlier this year but Southampton 3-2 for me was a low point yeah that's a rough one I mean I'm, I'm looking at the schedule now and I'm thinking about like which which low point do I want to pinpoint here because <laughs> there's, there's a decent amount of them <laughs> there is a few I mean you talk about that Southampton match and um as I'm looking at Prem League fixtures we had that crazy Stevie B match against Leicester, January 19th, followed by 2-0 loss to Chelsea, 3-2 loss to Southampton, 2-0 loss to Wolves, and then the crazy City game. So, and then right after that, we lost to Burnley. Um, so that, that patch was weird because it's like two of the most memorable wins of the season, sandwiched between all of these awful losses, um, and I think to Jesse's point, it's like, okay, like, are we actually good because we're beating teams like city, but it feels like it's always some last minute magical thing. It, we did not feel very confident in our defense yet at that time. So it still felt like we were going to leak a goal at some point, you know, here we go. Um, I'm, I'm still now just like starting to get rid of that mentality of like, uh-oh, there's a set piece. Uh-oh, there's a corner kick. Uh-oh, 
like every time, you know, just always worried that there's going to be a goal leak at some point. Um, and I feel like we're starting to now get to a point where I can relax a little bit. I'm not completely there yet. Bear with me. Um, I don't know. The, the low point is that has that was a little bit of a low point for me. I think whenever we lose to lesser competition like Vitesse and NS Mura uh, and, you know, Colchester and these teams like that, that always hurts. But I also look all the way back to September uh, when we had Nuno's probably lower than I was at any point under Conte simply because I didn't have any faith that he knew how to get make things better. Um, with Conte, I, I, you know, I was disappointed with some of the some of the losses. I was disappointed by his reaction to those losses. And I started to get a little worried that, all right, here's another big manager that's going to decide Spurs is just a Finnish club and they, you know, they just can't figure it out. So I'm getting the hell out of here. And a part of me was nervous that that was going to happen. And it's like the players have to win games to prove to Conte that we're, we're worthy of his affection. <laughs> um, but under Nuno, I just didn't really have any hope at all. And so I, I, I go all the way back to that 3-1 loss to Arsenal um, where things, you know, were really feeling ugly. This was after yeah. losing 3-0 to Crystal Palace, followed by 3-0 to Chelsea, followed by 3-1 to Arsenal. And, like, to give up three goals in three consecutive matches after, if you remember, winning – uh, the first three games of the season under Nuno granted they were all one nil um, but to do that right after winning <laughs> coach of the month or manager of the month was just like oh man this guy just feels out of his depths who are we going to get it just took us two or three months to get a coach now we're stuck with this guy and Conte's definitely not coming here so now the season is just going to be we're going to finish seventh again and that's going to be it and so I think in terms of just like having no hope at all, I would go all the way back to the beginning of the season because I, I do feel like even when we had some of those losing streaks under Conte, there was a little bit of hope that like if he gets enough time with the guys and if we get a full week of work where we don't have a, a match in, on a Thursday, you know, like there was little things that I could convince myself might turn things around. Um, but under Nuno, I just didn't have any of that optimism. Yeah, I'd say um, the, both of those are probably if you would have if I was to choose, it'd be one of those as well. Um, particularly in the in like the first round where we, the part that were I feel like really broke me was when we we went against like West Ham, Man U, and Everton, and like two of those matches were with um, Nuno. One was with Conte, but it was still the same players, and so I was just like we literally managed to not have a shot on target for four hours. And that was where I was just like, we, we can't do anything. Like one, we're just giving up dumb goals. And then two, we just can't score. And what do we do from here? And then obviously Conte came in had a little time with the player, gave them patterns of play, gave them the ability to, you know, give them a platform to sort of like move forward from and things got better. But at that point I was just like, there's no way that, these players right here can find a way to score. <laughs> mm. um, and, and, and having Kane and son on the field and saying that just felt, it feels sacrilegious, obviously, but at that time it was just like, well, no one can get them the ball. Like, do we have anyone who can get son and Kane the ball? It seemed like we didn't. Um, 
and that's where I really think Kulisevsky coming coming in. One, it gave like and Bentinker. And Bentoncourt, of course. Um, but like Kulusevsky, in terms of like his actual involvements, like he set up eight goals um in the league. He scored five on his own. So like when you that just took a lot of weight off of Sun and Kane. So they didn't feel like they had to do everything. Cause Lucas on that side, and I think that's honestly when our season changed was when Kulusevsky got the start. Um because yeah. if you think about in those matches that you were talking about, Jesse. Um, the Southampton match, Lucas was still starting. And right. the match that Lucas stopped starting was the Man City match. And that's the match we won. That was Kulisevsky's first start was that game against Man City. And so to me, Conte finally let go. I guess he finally got comfortable with Kulisevsky um, and finally was like, okay, he's better than Lucas. He gives us more than Lucas. Let's put him on. And you could see as like anytime Kulisevsky came on, he always did something. It wouldn't have turned into a goal, but there were times, like I said, he had he had one match that he came on. He was on for 20 minutes and he could have set up two goals if people managed to finish them. Um, so I, to me, that was like the, the change. And that's what made the team better was just those two guys really came in um, and, and really made a big difference. Well, obviously Conte was, it was a huge difference maker for, for our season, but let's talk players for a little bit. Um, we've seen a lot of ups and downs just, amongst the guys on our team. I mean, Harry Kane as our, as our leading star and our talisman had a pretty rough start to the season and still somehow, you know, ended with what, 17 goals. Yep. 17. Uh, So like a player like that can have ups and downs that obviously means other players can as well. But um, who were some of the players, if, if you were to pick one guy on the team who you'd say, this guy really impressed me this year. Uh, who would that be? And then on the flip side of that coin, was there anyone who really disappointed you this season? I think Son, um, in a way, like was already an impressive player. But I said at the top of the pod, like just that he had another level. I thought that that was his highest level, which was, again, really, 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 really good. I just didn't know that he was going to be, you know, golden boot level. And so him taking that, it, it, it's hard, you know, um, to jump up that level when you're already that good it's there's not much as much room to jump up right you know it's easier to 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 get a lot better if you stink and then you're decent um versus if you're already great to be one of the greatest players in the league and so son was super impressive decky just how he jumped right in i mean um remember not that this is the same player and, and a little bit funny to compare them since they both uh since since one effectively replaced the other but like lucas came in was a january signing also from a previous big club that he had fallen out of favor with at PSG. And I don't think Lucas started for like five or six, seven games that he'd come in. I think he barely even like subbed in at that yeah. time. That was a different squad and we didn't need Pochettino. as much, but yeah, to come in and be that impactful and, and finish whatever deck he did was, was top five or something like that. Um, in, uh, in the, in the league and assists and, and whatever ended up being basically about half the season, maybe even less. So I think that was, that was wildly impressive for me. Dyer's been talked about as well as having, having another good year. I think a credit to Kane is he was obviously so uninvolved and one of my favorite moments of the year was for a different reason, but in the man city, win in the, in the season opener, when the, when the home crowd was chanting, are you watching Harry Kane? Are you watching Harry Kane? And we didn't know what was going to happen with him. And so for him to like reset himself 
um, maybe stop listening to his uh, his brother, but like whatever it <laughs> took, like for him to completely Charlie get back Kane. in, and maybe it was just the Conte switch, but like for him to flip back into world class player, great, you know, one of the best strikers in the world, one of the best passers in the world, and him to jump fully back into it, um, that's tough, you know, mentally and emotionally to 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 be fully gone, you know, in your heart and in your mind, and to come back and be and be right back in it. I think so. That was impressive, but I think yeah, Sun taking that that level from you know a nine to a ten, not the positions in the field, but level of play, uh, and then Decky just from coming in from a, a not super used player at Juventus to jumping right in, fitness never being a question, and, and being an, an impact player. I mean, his his goal against City was what under five minutes of the first game that he ever played in the Premier League. That's crazy. Of all the leagues that. It, you know, jumping into, I feel like Premier League is the hardest of the physicality of it. And so, um, and jumping into a Conte squad, that's going to be running you hard. So Decky and Son have to be the, the most impressive guys uh, to me this year. All right, so we're, we're splitting awards like the Golden Boot over here. What's going on? <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'll pick Decky from, from the impact of, of coming on midseason. That was, that was remarkable. Switching leagues. Like, it'd be one thing if he came over from an English team. But switching leagues, I have to go with Decky. Decky was the one I was going to go with. And like, for me, it was, he had 13 goal involvements and 14 starts and 18 appearances in the league. So like almost every start he made, he made something happen um, on average, but I'm actually going to go with Romero um, because you could tell uh, when he was injured and we had to play Sanchez um, it it our defense just wasn't as strong and like Romero just I think he made the other defenders on the team more confident um I think knowing that there's someone on the right side that's just gonna do what he has to put fear in the hearts of other of attackers um just made the other guys be able to play a little bit more freely like it allows Emerson to to actually run run on and play up the pitch and and I think I think actually now Sanchez sitting on the bench watching Romero was better for Sanchez than him playing funny enough. Mm -hmm. Um, because I felt like when Sanchez, Sanchez came back, obviously he's not the same player as Romero, but he was doing some of the same things. Some of those passes that you saw Romero make that break the lines, Sanchez was making some of those. And so I guess playing with someone who's better than you can raise your level. And I think that's what happened to Sanchez. Like we always thought Sanchez was a decent defender, but I felt like in the last like three weeks when he had to play, he played really, really well. And there was very few things I saw about him that I was just like, this is not great. So Romero to me just made kind of made everyone's life a little easier. And he was just the guy that, you know, we signed when we weren't even playing that well. Like he was just the guy that Paratici was like, I want this guy. Um, they went after him and he signed with us. And at first I was just like, I didn't understand it because he had just won Syria, Syria A like defender of the year, like he was the best defender the year before he came to us in Syria. So you just, you just think like, what gets that guy to Spurs, especially in a summer where we appointed, we tried to appoint eight different managers. Um, so it just seemed like he, he wanted to play in the premier league and mm -hmm. Spurs was his way to get there. Um, but I feel like now that he's here, like he's, you can tell another person that just seems very happy to be at Spurs. Like he's, he seems to enjoy playing on this team um he seems to really enjoy the fact that 
we got Conte as a manager. And I think that was helpful because maybe he would have been someone that was going to be looking to leave in a year or two. Um, but I feel like now he's settled. Um, he seems to, you know, he got his family. He just seems to really like living in London. Um, so yeah, I, I look at him as probably the guy that like changed our defense. Um, and he was injured for a bunch of the season. So it's like, you couldn't really see what kind of impact he would have had, but the moment he came back, I started to feel like this team is just a little more solid. Yeah, obviously the guys that we signed uh, between Romero and Benton Kerr and Kulishevsky changed our team significantly um, in addition to some of the players that we showed the front door. But I, I'm going to go a little bit of a different way with it. I, I, I'm thinking about the players that we've already had on our team um, and thinking about the guys that really impressed me, particularly a few of them like Sanchez, who I was – completely done with, completely ready to, ready to get rid of. I wanted them sold. And they, like, changed my opinion on them. And at the top of that list for me uh, is Eric Dyer, who, like I said, under Jose, was really just over him. <laughs> I felt like he was also just being put in positions, him and the rest of our defense uh, where they were constantly being asked to save and bail out the game. Um, and so when you put defenders in positions where they have to save you time and time again, um, as Burnley found out this weekend, eventually you're going to leak goals and that's not going to work out for you. And so I think a part of it is like shoring up our defense and the Conte effect and all of that. But I also feel like, Dyer has consistently been one of those players that always was pushing the team to like try a little bit harder, keep a better mentality. Sometimes he would make mistakes. Of course, every player does. Um, but I always felt like he had the right mentality when he stepped onto the pitch. It just didn't feel like it was working out for him. And this year I saw a significant shift in terms of like him maintaining that mentality but also being able to do it on the pitch being able to avoid making the mistakes being able to say the right things when he's talking to the players and obviously Hugo is Mr. Reliable and he is our captain but when I think about the other 10 players on the field I feel like Eric Dyer was the one that kind of kept everyone together and like was the the captain amongst the outfield players in terms of making sure that the defense was keeping their lines, talking to the midfielders, directing traffic, and those big-headed headers of his just coming in time and time again. Um, I mean, Ben Davis was also huge this year, so big shout to him. I mean, it seemed like every game he was flying off the corners with a huge block or a huge tackle to save a goal scoring opportunity for the other team. Um, but I feel like Dyer was also doing that and also defending corners and also just keeping everybody focused for all 90 minutes. And there's a lot to say about that. Like that's not going to show up um, in your player rating at the end of the day. But for me, he was the biggest surprise, um, a positive surprise, I should say in terms of, the other side of the coin, if, if I look at players that I thought were disappointing, I think it's the players that left. 
and, and I think the top of that list for me is Lo Celso. Um, when he first signed with Spurs, um, especially that 1920 year uh, when we were not very good and we finished sixth, it did feel like he was um, the best player on our team for a lot of those games. And we weren't a very good team at the time, but for me, it always felt like, okay, like he's going to get his legs under him. He's going to adjust to this league. He's going to be able to make an impact. He had some of the skills that you want from a number 10, um, but it just never seemed to come together for him. He didn't really provide enough assists or goals. Uh, I just think about that awful corner kick that he had in that one game where we like needed to score a goal in the last 10 minutes. And it just seemed to always come up short. Um, and yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe if he had gotten some more time with Conte, maybe he would have turned things around the same way that like a player like Matt Doherty did. But um, for me, he was definitely the biggest disappointment this season. Um, so I'm going to go with Dyer and Lasoso. Yeah, I think like from Lasoso, the thing about him is we were looking for him to give us like goals and assists. And yeah, he was he was always in positions to make that happen. Like, but he just didn't have it. And when you that's the one thing we needed from him, like we needed him to produce and he just never found a way to produce. And I think the other thing about him is he would always find a way to be on Argentina duty. But the moment he get back, he'd be injured. And so it's just like he was so stop start with Spurs where he just felt like, is he even committed to the team? And I think that's the reason why Conte let him go is that he didn't feel like Wasso was committed. Like I think early um, before the transfer window even opened, there was rumors about Lacelso not being happy with, with Conte, with Conte not being happy with Lacelso. And so when they were like, Oh, let's move him on for me. I was just like, let's just go, like, just let him go. Um, I don't regret that either. And I felt the same way. Um, the only, I think, hesitation, if that's the right word, is the fact that I also said that about Davinson and I also said that about Dyer <laughs> and I also said that about Doherty and they all had good years this season. Um, <clears throat> so the thing about those other players is you never questioned whether they wanted to be with the team. Like it was a true. matter of maybe that's they true. weren't performing, but it, you never, it's the same thing about Ndombele. You question his want to be with this team um he was my person that i was um like you chose lacelso i chose ndombele um i think his entire tenure with spurs was just one of the least impressive things i've seen um he always seemed to have a spark here or there but he could never continue it it was just like he had so much hype and like so little promise and everything he just seemed to have his attitude about football is very lackluster. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that works well in a team like Spurs because we're the kind of team that I feel like when we work the best, it's because everyone's moving towards the same goal. And and, um, and Domblay always seemed to have his own idea about what he wanted to do. So he find himself out of position because he wanted to do something or he didn't track back somewhere. And so I just always felt like he wasn't the guy that, put the team first it was always in Dombley first and the team came after that um yeah so I gotta go with LaCelso for my least impressive because LaCelso didn't have any goals or assists this year and although he was absolutely out of favor all year um October 17th 
18th minute, Spurs are down 1-0 against Newcastle. Regulon takes the ball on the wing, finds Tangai, who takes one dribble and puts it in the top 90 into the side netting. I'm watching it live in front of me, and, and we won against Newcastle 3-2, and that was an equalizer. We're down 1-0, so every single goal mattered this year. Not that I'm like, oh, yeah, Tangai's in my best 11, but he did something that Spurs needed this year, uh, and, and then every single – not every single goal mattered, but every result mattered. And he scored a goal in a game that we won 3-2. So um, that's the tiebreaker. Geo uh, drops uh, to the bottom of the list for me. Well, when I think about Tangy, I just think about him hot-dogging it in that league match <laughs> after he got subbed off and we're losing and he's just that like taking his sweet time. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, we need we need to win the game. Um, so, like, that's, like the, that's the lasting memory of Ndombele that I have. Um, I mean, he had so much skill on the ball. I mean, he was like a it, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Musa Dembele, not the same type of player at all, but just the way that he had that grace with the ball at his feet. It never felt like anybody was going to be able to get the ball off of him. Um, but to your point, like it, it never led to anything. So it's like you, you're seeing the pieces of something that could be very special. <clears throat> but it never actually got to the point where it was. So that's that. Um, I do really still root for Delhi Alley, though. I mean, I just want, yeah. I just want Delhi to, to kick on. I don't know if it's going to happen at Everton. Um, I mean, maybe they hold on to him now. They're not going to probably have a very good chance of getting too many great players um, after the season they had, but it did feel like, even when he came on um, in that game the week before last where they needed to win to stay up, he kind of changed the game for them and they ended up winning and, and avoiding relegation. And that earned him a start on Sunday. So who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll be able to, 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 to carry on with them. He's still so young. So it's like, you just hope that he can find something. Um, and so, and it might just be finding a manager who believes in him and puts him in positions to succeed. I don't think center midfield is where Delhi needs to be. If I'm anybody, I'm putting Delhi probably on the right or the left wing, sort of in like a similar to like a Kulisevsky role where he is, you know, in the box. He's making right. runs into the box. Like use use the pace that he does have to put the ball over top because that's the one thing Delhi showed when he was in his early days with Spurs. Um, get him running, get him in the box. He might be able to make something happen. So to me, that's Delhi's best spot is is not in in like a, as a sitting holding midfielder. Uh, that's that's to me, it's not his best role. Yeah, because at that time we were playing what a four three two one or something like that. Um, I know he was definitely always playing like off the left of Kane and making those late runs. Um, that was really where he was able to spread his wings, but it feels like some of those more traditional lineups that you saw in the early 2010s, you're not seeing as much, as much anymore. Uh, there are a lot more teams that are reverting to like back threes and things like that. And I do wonder how much, uh, the game has changed and maybe his hasn't. Um, but to your point, maybe he just needs to find the right manager. With that said, our season is over. 
We go into the offseason. We're top four. We got the golden boot. We got Conte. We got Kulisic. We got Romero. We got Harry Kane. We still got Hugo. I hear we're getting linked to a backup now. Fraser Foster from Southampton. It's only going to be the first of many, many more links that I'm sure we're going to hear over the next 10 weeks or so. Um, We will be back to talk a little bit more about our hopes for the summer, our stalking of Fabrizio Romano, (laughs) and everything else that comes with an offseason. Anything else to add as we wrap up the 21-22 Tottenham Hotspur season? This is your last opportunity. We'll never be able to talk about it again. Just one thing. Come on. Give it to us. Oh, what a night. There we go. Watching Tottenham on a Wednesday night. You play Thursday because you're fucking shite. Hey, what a feeling. What a night. What a night. Come on. Come on, boys. Come on, Spurs. A great season. This is why we why we do it. There are times where you're like, why do I care about this team that's <laughs> 3,000 miles or however far away? Like, I wake up early just to get my day ruined. And then there's times like these last few months have been, and it's it's like, oh, right, this is why. This is why I fell in love with the team. This is why I fell in love with the game and all that stuff. So, so glad to have it back and very excited to uh, to have that Champions League theme song on Wednesdays and uh, block my schedule out in the office a couple days a week. Well, they say it's the hope that kills you, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's what we've learned. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, Spurs.